Good morning, Nina Kumar. Good morning, Jacqueline Cohen. How are you? I'm feeling so much better today. Yes, because you had quite a week last week. Nina, I really thought I had COVID. And why wouldn't you? I mean, <laughs> as soon as as soon as anybody gets the littlest bit of sniffles, they fear that you had a fever for a few days. Yeah, I actually, I started on um, New Year's Eve with a fever. I was thinking this is a great way to enter into 2021. And I almost didn't want to tell anybody. I can't get Katie sick because she's so immunocompromised. But I sat there and... I could feel myself getting colder and colder and shakier and shakier. And I took my temp and I had 102 temperature. (laughs) Oh my God. So as we all do this, I went down um, the path of, okay, it's just a flu virus. I probably got it from Katie when she was sick last week, but the fever just wouldn't leave my body. And I felt sick for about three days. Then I went and got a rapid test and I was negative. So I was very relieved, but I still wasn't bouncing back. And it was a strange feeling. My head felt throbby. I had trouble doing simple tasks. And then I had a PCR test this week and it was negative. And my doctor said, there's no way you have COVID. There's no way. And I said, okay, I'll take your word for it. So today I actually feel completely okay. Thank God. You do. So that was, uh, that was over a week. Yeah. I was sick for about seven days. Wow. And was Katie had a a virus too? Katie had a virus around Christmas and she was having these low grade temps, but she feels, I mean, obviously she doesn't feel great because she's sick with other things, but we weren't thinking, uh uh-oh, time to get Katie a COVID test. But if I, if I had tested positive, everybody in our house would have had to do it. You guys have never had a scare, right? Um, I'm just trying to think, um, well, we've had like, you know, like my daughter was playing outside with someone who was exposed to COVID type of thing, but nothing where someone had a fever or anything like that. But you guys, I have to give you a lot of credit. You and Zach have been so safe. Your kids have been so diligent. Teenagers, it's, it's tougher to reel them in during a time like this, but you guys have done a great job. Well, my teenagers are like introverts and um, very COVID cautious, you know, and um, they're just not that hard to rein in, you know, (laughs) they're like very sensible people. Um, But yeah, we're very cautious because we, you know, we, I, at least up until Christmas was seeing my parents who are now not really interested in seeing people inside until um, they get their vaccine, which should be right around the corner. Um, And, you know, I just, we, you know, the other part of it is actually is that my husband and I both work for ourselves. So without being well, we can't work and without working, we can't support our family. So we really, you know, it's not like we could go on sick leave and get paid or anything like that. So um, I don't, re- I didn't really factor that so much in, but my husband definitely talked about that. Um, 
for whatever reason, you know, I think because I, my exposure, I'm lucky enough to have it be so low. I can work from home. I can, you know, have my groceries delivered, whatever. Um, You know, COVID's not front of mind all the time, but, um, but, you know, yes, we are very safe as are you. I'm very careful and the mask and the washing of the hands and, and cleaning off all the doorknobs is still a part of my daily ritual. But I would love for you to share your, your vaccine story since you are one of my few friends that actually has had the vaccine and you've, um, you haven't experienced any real symptoms the past few days. Yeah. Do you know other people who had it? Uh, I just know, a couple, it? I know a couple of healthcare workers and an older person that did, uh, he's a psychiatrist mm-hmm. and he had mm-hmm. it recently, but that's it. So I'm really curious about your journey and what you can recommend to others out there that are a little bit reticent. Right. Well, I mean, I, my kids are now teens and I definitely grew up or had them, they grew up in the era of, which I'm not even sure is, you know, it, existing today but the era of like alternate vaccine schedules where you didn't want to overwhelm the immune system with too many vaccines um so i I, i've always paid a good amount of attention to to vaccines i guess i would say in that way and then as you know a couple years ago i had a flu vaccine and i had a lot of inflammatory symptoms post vaccination and we can't link it um, straight back to the vaccine and everyone but my a functional medicine doctor at the time that I saw thought it was you know like could not be true but honestly I felt fine I got the vaccine all of a sudden I had terrible like uh, neck arm shoulder pain as you know I could not do yoga for a, a year um So I am very cautious around vaccines. So in Essex County in New Jersey, um, it became clear that I could apply for a vaccine. I'm a psychologist, so I'm a health worker, and I do see kids in person, um, you know, usually social, I mean, always socially distanced outside um, and always with masks, but um, I decided to apply. And anyway, within, you know, a week I was scheduled to go in and to go get the vaccine. So I was very anxious leading up to it because of the autoimmune response I had had to the flu vaccine. Um, because this COVID vaccine has only been studied for like, I don't know, seven months, something, you know, like not a long time. I had the Moderna one. Um, and you know, I was kind of like, why am I the guinea pig? You know, why am I? But but I'm lucky enough to be the guinea pig in the first wave of vaccine, vaccines, but also, you know, do I want to be? Um, and I was back and forth until like the night before. But my husband was saying to me, um, you know, if you get the coronavirus, obviously the post-COVID symptoms that the long haulers have are are just as bad, not if not worse That's than right. everything you had before when you had the flu vaccine. So, I mean, I was going to go get it, but, you know, I, I was sort of like going back and forth in my mind. Anyway, I went there in Essex County as um, 
in, I guess, many other places, as the Wall Street Journal reported, when Sears closed, they have now opened up a bunch of Sears across the country, Sears department stores, and turned them into COVID vaccination sites. So that's where I went. I went to an old Sears. Um, my husband was asking me if um, it felt weird being in like a like a haunted department store getting a weird vaccine. And it didn't feel that way at all because Sears inside looked like a vaccination center. Like it was all set up. I forgot it was even ever a department oh store gosh. when I walked in. And you were um, alone, right? You were alone. You know, I got, no, I mean, yeah, there's, you didn't have family I was alone. Members with you. Yes, alone. Yes. No, I didn't have family members. They, you're, you're not even allowed in the door until you show your, your voucher that you've been approved, you know? So they like don't really, Although there was, yeah, there was a guy who was, was pushing, um, you know, an older person in a wheelchair, but you know, other than that, so I was alone, I went in, the doors were guarded by police and this was on Thursday. So it was a day after the Capitol siege. So, um, I have to say the police were very friendly, like couldn't have been more caring, nicer, you know, like cheery at the door. Um, there was tons of volunteers and, like long story short, you have to wait uh, 15 to 20 minutes post vaccine um, to leave because they want to make sure you don't get any allergic reactions or have any, you know, side effects that immediately become present. Um, what was your backup plan? I was... <clears throat> <laughs> oh, reaction. Had, Tell everyone what you a, did. Uh... Well, okay. <laughs> I will, okay. but let me just finish this by saying that I was in and out in like 25 minutes. Like it, it was the most efficient doctor's type of visit that I've ever had. If all, if all doctor's appointments could run that efficient, we would be like, we would never be waiting for doctors. But um, my backup plan, I, you know, when I was a little kid, I watched my dad go into anaphylactic shock from a bee sting. Um, my son has nut allergies. I watched him. Uh, go into anaphylactic shock when he was two. Um, so I brought his EpiPen to the vaccination because I was like, I'm not taking any chances. And even when you go there, they say to you like, oh, have you ever had any severe allergic reaction? And I was like, mm. and I was like trying to, and I was like, yeah, no, that wasn't me. So no, um, that was family members. Um, but, you know, they have a medical, they had a medical tent there. So I read, I didn't even have to BYO, BYO. Uh, EpiPen, <laughs> you know, it was, <laughs> there was an EpiPen right there, but um, a very nice orthopedic surgeon gave me my shot. Um, they gave me a timestamp that was 20 minutes later that I could leave. Um, and then it was, when it was time for me to leave, somebody came up to me and said, you, you know, if you want, you can leave now. And I was done. Mm. So it was the easiest thing. I, I felt a little woozy that night, but I also really hadn't slept all week for whatever reason. Oh, maybe because, maybe because it was chaos in our country and I was, you know, there was a lot going on, but, um, I felt a little bit woozy and my arm definitely hurt for like two or three days. Um, but that was it. That, that was the only side effects. And, um, my friend who's an MD had gotten his, uh, Moderna shot, uh, I think two days before me. And 
he had a fever or slight fever and chills um, for a day, I think starting 24 hours after the shot. So, so 48 hours after he was feeling better. Um, and that was, you know, the, so, and I've heard of other people getting the shot and being, uh, my in-laws had the Pfizer shot in Vermont. They're vaccinating older people already. So it was kind of a big nothing, you know, it was a lot of, of, of wind up of feeling anxious, but feeling totally fine physically after I left. I'm actually really impressed that you did it. And I don't know if Pfizer does this, but Moderna uses that mRNA technology and you have to have two doses, right? So when do you get the next one? So they already gave me a date in February. I can't remember what the date is. I have to look it up. But so was it four? Um, yeah, why are you impressed? Well, because I, I know I sometimes it. you have anxiety about um, meds or new meds. And it just sounds like you did because you sent me a text and you said, I'm, I kind of want you to talk to you about the potential side effects. And you never ended up calling me. And I thought, wow, she's doing this. That's great. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, luckily, um, you know, my MD friend um, had had it the day before. So I was like, I was, he's, he's the husband of a good friend of mine. And I was saying to her, he's probably like, why is Nina so concerned about my health? I was texting him like every three hours, like, how are you feeling now? You know, so I had him going ahead of me. Um, and he was, he was also saying to me, like, well, if, 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 anything goes awry, just call me. So I really, I like knew I had a backup plan. Um, but as he said, cause, cause this physician friend of mine is pretty, he, he's one of those people who are very cautious about vaccines. He said, I'm, I don't really want to get it. I'd rather get the disease, but I'm taking one for the team. And I think if you think about it like yeah. that, that's a good way to think about it. Like whether you want it or not, we got to get rid of this COVID thing. And, you know, let's just well, take one for the team. I mean, our rollout's been a lot slower than initially planned. And I don't know why that is, but I think we've had almost over 13 million vaccine doses distributed already. I don't know how many have been administered, actually, but they're really, they're really trying to expedite this as they can. But I don't think, I don't think as many people are vaccinated as we thought by now, by January, 2021. And older people are very concerned. And I don't know, who do you think should be a priority? Well, you know, I've been listening to, um, to some epidemiologists. Um, I can't remember their names, but <clears throat> I'm sure they were on Brian Lair because that's my, my go-to place for information for anybody who's not in the, uh, New York area it's he's a uh, local radio host who has like I think like really wonderful segments but um the the epidemiologists at this point are sort of like <clears throat> let's vaccinate 24 7 whoever will walk in the door because so many people are not wanting to vaccinate in fact like you know I run that group on Fridays where it's doctors and healthcare professionals who are who are uh you know, suffering stress or trauma or just trying to work through this whole Corona slash working in the medical field situation. And um, one of the doctors said only 30% of the staff in our hospital was vaccinated. And this is somebody in the uh, 
tri-state area, you know, so that's pretty surprising. And I think, you know, some people have had Corona and have antibodies and sort of feel like why, why bother? I think other people are suspicious enough of the vaccine. Um, But I think, you know, top priority, clearly people who are immunocompromised or um, older and, you know, now they're saying 75 and up, but I almost think 65 and up might be a better way to go. Um, and then anyone, you know, anyone who's going to walk in the door and get vaccinated, because I think we're going to find out that at least 50% of our population doesn't even want to. I mean, this could roll out over the next few months because the company is working to produce 1 billion doses of the vaccine. That's a lot, right? And if we're on track to secure a hundred million doses right now or by June, it could make a huge impact. And I think, number one, there's still fear. There's still the unknown. Uh, there's still people that think, okay, what if there's a different vaccine that comes out in three months? It's even better. And I don't need to get a second one. There's, so all the what ifs actually add up. For me personally, I definitely would get the vaccine. There's no doubt. And once Katie's doctors greenlight her, I hope that she gets it. But I, I don't know how to assuage. Yeah the fear of millions of people that are still on the fence about even thinking about getting it. Yeah. And then the people who are not afraid of Corona and are not, you know, are afraid of the vaccine maybe because they think the government's trying to control us or, you know, or, or for populations who have a history of not, you know, African-Americans who have a history of not trusting medicine and authority, understandably, um, who are, you know, going to be much more cautious. Um, I don't know. Have you come across anybody in your life? Yeah, younger people. They said they'd rather have the antibodies. That's that's what they say. I'd rather have the antibodies and I'd rather do this uh, naturally through my own. My, I want my body to be able to heal through it. Um, I don't know if that's a more holistic approach or they're in denial of what this this disease can actually do to your body. The, the research you and I have done and the people we've spoken to that have long haulers, I know the people that are going through that wish that there was a vaccine before they got sick, right? Because there's no timeline. You don't know if you're going to have long hauler symptoms for just two months or a year, or if it's going to be a lifelong challenge. Right. Or if you're going to get through the virus just fine, and then two months later be hit with some sort of post-COVID syndrome. Uh, The healthcare workers that I know at a private hospital in New York, it's called Solace, uh, many of them already have the antibodies and they're relieved and they're not getting the vaccine. But they say that the demographic that's the most challenging to convince how dangerous this is still the younger generation. People that are in their 20s, mm-hmm. early 30s. And I don't know if that's being invincible or a little crazy in denial. Uh, as a country, I think we need to keep people informed and it should be a daily part of our own personal research. Where are we with this vaccine? Uh, are Pfizer and Moderna in conversation with each other? Is the CDC giving us uh, current information? 
I just think staying informed right now is so important, Nina. Yeah, but I, I would imagine it's not, if you don't perceive this virus as like a great risk to you personally, um, because you're very young, you know, some of the young people are saying, well, there's only, you know, basically a 1% chance that something very serious would happen. I'd end up in the hospital or whatever. So why would I curtail, you know, 99% of my activities for a 1% chance something bad would happen? Um, but if, if, if you don't perceive it as a risk for yourself, why would you change your activities unless you saw it as more of a whole that we're all interconnected and you know that if 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 we don't tamp down on the virus at the same time we're vaccinating this could go on for years you know that that virus numbers being low is part of uh getting rid of the the virus not just the vaccinating but both both together. So I think I think something that was pretty um, evident last week, January 6th, is that reckless behavior doesn't just come up in terms of our health. It's it's driven by political forces, anger, ignorance, lack of education. And when we saw the White House being stormed upon uh, in a violent, rageful way, and people not wearing masks and destroying property, sacred property for our country, it was really telling on what's happening in a um, huge part of our country, right? Throughout our country. I mean, yeah, throughout our uh, country. How people banded together. We, we, yeah. have, we have a pandemic going on. We have uh, food insecurity going on, people that don't have jobs illness spreading and you uh, watching the news. I don't know how you felt emotionally, but watching it, I felt I could feel the assault on myself emotionally and physically. And I can't imagine what it was like to be working inside the Senate, inside the side and fend for your life and feeling uh, such rage towards not only themselves personally, but towards um, the country. And, and, and I just kept thinking, oh, there's another human being without a mask. No one seemed to be protecting themselves. Nina, it was just wild to watch. And I knew we had to talk about this today. It's funny because my husband said the same thing. He's like, they, they all went in without masks. I'm like, right. without masks? They had right. like weapons. <laughs> you know? Like, But it's true that not having mask things is also you know, dangerous. And, and I think someone has, well, I know that they've identified someone who had um, the virus and now they're afraid that, you know, cause everybody was sort of locked into rooms together um, that other people have been exposed, but um, yeah, but you know what, Jackie, I was just thinking as you were describing the, the feelings that the people inside, excuse me, the Capitol had, um, a feeling, you know, like, what did you say? Terrorized, but, you know, just on the floor, afraid yeah. for their life, not knowing what was happening. Um, isn't that the way yes. chronic yes. illness feels, you know, <laughs> it's like the same feeling state just occurred to me. Like I think of your daughter, Katie, and, um, I think every day is a battle, 
for life, right? Like every day is a battle to feel safe and secure within it's, one's it's own It's that feeling body. of uncertainty, right? It's, it's also, there's a feeling of no one understanding. Mm -hmm. It's a feeling of taking back mm -hmm. your, how do you get back your life? And if you were listening to the rhetoric of what everyone was saying, this is, this is my country. This is our house. We are going to take this back. We are not, we, we, what was one of the, the lines that someone said? We will not sit back and let this happen. And by the way, when you're sick, you begin to feel like that. You are absolutely right. Yeah. And also the, you know, what happened in my mind um, in the Capitol, you know, the, the four hours between when people stormed the Capitol and when they left, um, there must have been a feeling of like, who's mm. going to save us? You know, who's going to help us? Um, because, because there wasn't enough help, which for whatever reasons, but I think it's also the case with chronic illness. It's like, who's going to help me? Who's going to save me? Who's going to, you know, put an end to this? Um, and the answer of course is always, uh, you know, only you really like it, it there's no one on the outside who can really, you know, shift whatever's going to happen within your body. I mean, there's medications you can take, there's exercise, there's, you know, there's self-care. Um, but a lot of that is coming from, from within, you know, there's, there's no army coming to rescue you basically. And I think that's a hard lesson to learn with chronic illness. Yes, I, I do. Does that make sense? And do you, agree you think with that? about our government and how much time and money and energy they put into certain task force forces. But if you think about a family, you sit down and you're creating your own strategy and task force about how to protect your family, how to support your family. That's just as critical. But unfortunately, we live in a country where people decide where they want to get their information. And it's not an unfortunate thing, but it's a, um, it's so divided on what people receive in terms of their information. So you, I'm sure you've listened to Fox News for an entertainment, correct? <laughs> but Not if you do recently, it, but yes. It's very different language, uh, very different information. And it suggests that people um, need to really fight for what they want, but in a different way. And I, I was not so surprised about what happened in, in DC a few days ago, because I could feel the buildup. And if we're just going to map this on to illness or chronic illness, COVID, what starts to happen is the fear sets in, you feel the changes within your body, you start to lose control. You realize that not everybody is available to help you. And then desperation. And where do you go with that? And some people make really poor reactive choices when they're feeling desperate. And Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that is so just such a great map. <laughs> that you just laid out, you know, I can feel it. I could feel it in my internal state. Um, yes, there's this feeling of um, 
scarcity and fear um, alongside a feeling of, um, of uh, what's the word I'm looking for, of, uh, of feeling like you deserve yeah. more, you're entitled to more. That's what I'm just looking for. And, um, and that creates the anger, you know? I think um, when, you're, when you're a person of color, um, and you live in this society, you don't necessarily feel that sense of mm-hmm. entitlement. Like I deserve more because you've never been given more or you never had more, you know, and you're already told you were second rate. But, you know, if you were, you know, um, of a, of a, of a more privileged or let's say white class, then, then you, you know, then you're, you're angry. I also think, you know, that, um, I think that rage is sort of culture bound. So what I mean is that, you know, like, uh, during different points in history, whether it was cult related or, um, like kamikaze pilots or whatever, um, there are different ways that people who are sort of like filled with rage are, are given the way to express it or, or it morphs into a certain way to express it. So like when I was growing up, there was no such thing as school shooters. It wasn't like, you know, we were all afraid and had to like learn classroom drills about how to hide in the closet, which my kids learned when they went to school, there could have been school shooters then, but it just like, wasn't a thing. Um, And then, you know, for whatever reason, there were different shootings and it became a way for the, for mostly young men to express their rage. And this is sort of like a culture bound illness, you know, of, of shooting up schools um, or, you know, or tearing up the Capitol or adhering and following um, the orders of, of, President Trump. Um, I think you're right. And it's, you said it's culture. So we have to be really careful, I think, as a nation, because who are we to define who is marginalized, right? You can, I, I'm sure off the top of mind, you can think of, of, of people or communities that are marginalized, but there are probably millions of people that we are unaware of that, that feel that way deeply, that don't have a voice. Um, that have felt compromised and undervalued their entire life. And they're looking for leadership or for someone to give them a little bit of hope. And even if that hope yeah. is steeped in, in, in lies and grandiosity, they'll, they'll take anything. They'll take scraps. And that's what is so concerning <laughs> that we, um, we live in a country where uh, that is valued, that lies and, and uh, misinformation is valued. I know that with uh, a pandemic, we need to get the right information. Uh, someone, I, I wanted to mention this last week, uh, I'm friends with the CEO of uh, the Kaiser Foundation. And I don't know if you've ever read any of their articles, but they are an amazing organization. And it's all about healthcare and support for families and compromised families. And I'm not sure when this article came out, but 
It was talking about families, individuals during this pandemic that felt so disconnected and so lonely. They had no social interactions, uh, were self-diagnosing themselves as becoming psychiatric patients. They felt like they they had never had this level of depression and fear. And Kaiser spoke about these uh, groups that are being formed across our country. And I don't know if you've ever even heard of them. Did you hear of a peer respite called Second Story? Did you ever hear of yeah. Yes. And they're- No, this is fascinating. Obviously because there's a shortage of psychiatric beds and doctors and hospital beds. There are therapists and counselors that are coming together to form these, these respites. And it provides support and food and um, emotional, psychological support. And we have these in our country. And they're not covered by insurance, but usually they're free. Most of these respites are free. And uh, there's one, it's called Hacienda of Hope. And um, Los Angeles has a few of these. But I think that this is something that we as communities have to grow more of because this is the COVID isn't going away tomorrow. We're going to have a lot of political unrest for the first year. I think Biden and Harris are in office. So how do we make sure that challenged and marginalized communities in our country have that support? And you and I do our best that we can and we do our own volunteer work and run groups. But having a place to actually go to or call for this respite, that that's a game changer. Yeah, so the respite is they would get counseling um, and and then maybe uh, direction yeah. on where to get it's, food. Let's or say they have financial struggles they that, or they're uh, having problems within their own home or where they're living. They can even come and stay at these respites for short term. And I, I know in some states there's an increased demand right now, given that people don't have jobs and there's food shortages. But I think it's an amazing concept and a great model and something maybe needs to be addressed in our urban, our urban cities like New York City. We, I know our homeless population has increased tenfold since, this, uh, since COVID started, but I just like the concept of it. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, this, it sounds like private industry is doing what government could have done or might've done in the past, um, but not in the present. And I think that's sort of the point of the Republican party is to push all Mm -hmm. these types of services into the private industry. But, um, but it's not nearly uniform enough then, you know, so there's these little, um, plays parts that Kaiser is able to, you know, to, to infiltrate, but it's not everywhere. Um, and I think the other thing is a lot of people don't really want help. Like they feel as though they should be strong enough and they want to just sort of like get the job or, you know, whatever that will allow them to be, you know, independent. But the, the, the problem is, is that we are so all interconnected, like we cannot get rid of COVID until our country in its entirety or 70% of us buy in to either having the antibodies or being vaccinated. You know, we, we, you know, 
if I'm sad, it's going to reverberate to my children and then from them to their teeth. You know, it's just, it, it's all mm-hmm. feelings flow outward and inward and all experiences. And we're all so interconnected. Um, so yeah, I think, wouldn't it be great if we all felt that we could have, you know, if we didn't have the support in the community that we need, that we could tap into something that was set up some structure an infrastructure. Um, yeah, maybe we, maybe should, we should, I'm not kidding. Biden. And, and if you think about it, you said it, there's a lot <laughs> of uh, Americans and I'm sure people globally that do have a lot of pride and they're afraid to reach out. And as you know, the more people don't reach out, um, things happen. You do get depressed and disconnected and, and sometimes sicker. And the, we have to open up the channels for people to even just call someone, call this line. We're going to talk you through the vaccine. We're going to help you get into a a place where you are going to get a free vaccine. This type of awareness isn't always, um, available for people. And I just, I even know sometimes that my mom, who's 80 years old, she does have dementia, but still she's pretty with it. And she spouts back what she hears on the news all the time to me, which I think is interesting. She loves to read the newspaper. She loves to watch the news. But the other day she said to me, well, I think I better just let the doctors and the healthcare workers, first responders get the vaccine. I don't think I'm that important. And I was like, wow, okay. I wonder if there's a lot of older populations that feel that way. Yeah. Well, my parents don't, but they, and my mom has been trying to get the information to get it. I mean, my parents are very educated. Um, and my mom is like a, <laughs> I want to say like a gopher. Do they move really fast? And <laughs> un- <laughs> unrelentless, Not, but, um, but she cannot figure out how to get the vaccine at this point. And I think the thing is, is I understand that. Like I almost didn't get the vaccine because I was thinking, well, I'm not, I can sit, I can go from my, you know, my office to my home um, and see clients on video and, you know, do all the sessions with kids outside, whether, you know, all of that. But so do I really need it? Not as much as, you know, a grocery worker, but unfortunately they were not vaccinating um, they, they were not vaccinated. They haven't moved on to one B or one C wherever older people and, and, you know, people who work, um, in, in, you know, essential services other than medicine are. So, um, so, and, and I also was heartened by this idea, um, by epidemiologists, which was sort of like, at this point, let's Mm -hmm. act like it's an emergency because it is and vaccinate everybody who we can get into the centers as fast as we can. And we can give priority, like we can give early appointments to older people, get them in and out quickly, get them less exposed, you know, whatever. Um, But I don't think, I think at this point, there are a lot of vaccines out there that are not being administered because like even in New York, Cuomo, his, 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 um, ideas were too narrow and he's just sort of expanding them out. I think maybe today. Um, and they're opening up the sort of 24 seven vaccination centers in the city. Um, 
And so let's act like it's an emergency. And, um, and I think, uh, just political leaders, medical leaders, clear messaging is so important for people explain what this vaccine does as clearly as possible, dispel any fears around it. Talk about what a reaction might look like and feel like, and that you, you can make it through there. So I just know that when people are given all the information, fear is assuaged, they can make their own decisions and move on. Uh, Nina, I am so glad that you shared your story today. I'm very, go ahead. Yeah. And I just, I just want to say that if you're a long hauler out there and you're, you know, thinking about getting the vaccine and worried that it's going to exacerbate your symptoms. I also have another psychologist colleague who has lupus, who was worried about getting the vaccine because we get it. Like we totally understand and it's something to be considered. Um, but think about the other and side. And please too. feel like free. We're going to have some information uh, when you log on to SoundCloud about how to get in touch with us. Please feel free to reach out. If there's a topic that you're interested in discussing or questions you have for Nina and I, we would love to get in touch with you. Yeah. Well, thanks everyone for joining us. And thank thanks you, Nina. Always love talking um, to this you. This Monday morning with me, Jackie. Yeah.